If we could, would we please open to Second uh, Timothy chapter three? We're going to be in verses one through nine this morning. Second Timothy chapter three, one through nine, as we make our way through the Word of God. Just going to pray for a second. Father, I want to thank you so much for this time together. I ask, uh, Lord, that you cleanse our hearts. Um, the stuff we've been going through here is. It's like handling a knife, Lord. And, and while we're to look out for these things uh, on the outside, Lord, I, I see them on the inside of my own heart. And, and I know we do, too. And so, Lord, cleanse us, God. Make us a people set apart for your use. Make us vessels that can be used for you, that we'd be honorable vessels, not dishonorable ones. Father, I pray there'd be a cleansing in this church, God, by your spirit, starting with me, Lord, and, and everybody here. We just want to follow you, God. And for the heart here this morning that um, really is just hard to you, Lord, show them your kindness, show them your love, show them your seriousness to you, Lord, and, uh, and draw them to yourself. We love you, and we give you this time, and we ask that you'd speak. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, as believers, one of the most... Uh, fascinating and amazing studies we can undergo is the study of end times. And, uh, and, uh, the reason it's so amazing is because we get to see, uh, the omniscience of God, how he knows everything. And he lays out history in advance. That's one of the ways that God shows us that he is who he is. He writes it down and then we see that it happens and we marvel at it, that he had happened exactly how he said so much. So as we know that in, in many of our common uh, you know, classes that we take and stuff, people will, will look at it and go, man, there's no way that could have been written. It was all written after the fact. It was all messed up. And it's like, no, that's, that's not what's going on. Actually, it is what it says. And God wrote the history in advance through the prophets. And there's a big study on that. But one of the amazing things is we, is the study of, of the end times and what things will be like in the future. And I'm pondering doing a study, uh, uh, about the end times over the, over the summertime, uh, which is obviously fun, but you know, figuring the, the days and, and the times we're living in and the craziness with everything, uh, it's just, it's upon us, you know? Um, but as Paul begins here in, in, in chapter three, he wants to lay out for Timothy, who's pastoring a church in Ephesus, what it is like during the last times, the end days. And in verse one, if you look there, he goes in verse one, it says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. How many of your Bibles have a different word than difficulty there? Perilous times. Anybody have another translation there? Extremely fierce. Yeah. The, so the translators are trying to pull into English what this Greek word says. And the idea is it is going to be extremely difficult. Now, the word for last days there in the in in the Greek uh, is eschat. It's, it's basically where we get the word eschatology and eschatology means is means last. It means the very ends. That same word is like the first shall be last, the very last and the last, the very last shall be the very first. And that's where we get that word there for end. And then there's followed by the word times and that word last days there that word days. It simply means a, it could mean like a, a day or it could mean a period of time. And so what he's talking about here is the last epoch, the last time, the last season, the last age is what he's talking about. Here. He says, but understand this, that in the last days, in this last age, there will come times of difficulty. And you know, we get a sense of the last days of when it began and when it will end as we kind of read through scripture. And I'll just give you a quick overview. Uh, in Hebrews chapter one, verses one through two, we get a, a sense of it where it says there long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, Old Testament. That's how God spoke in the Old Testament. But he says here in verse two, but in these last days, Guess what happens? He has spoken to us by his son. And so in a sense, we understand that the last days begin with the first coming of Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you think, no, the last days kind of we're in the last days. Well, when did that start? Well, technically it started when Jesus came on the scene. He's ushering in the last days. So 
indirectly through that verse, we pick up kind of an idea of when it begins. And this is not an exhaustive study. We'll do that another time. In Acts 2.17, remember that the Holy Spirit fell upon the church and the church was born. In Acts 2.17, Peter speaks of the prophecy of Joel. He says, in the last days, my spirit will be poured out. And he starts describing it. Well, that happened in Acts chapter two, after the ascension of Jesus, right? And so the last days isn't just the time of when Jesus was on. It actually goes into the church age when the church is there. And so that's an idea. And and this is why James, Peter, Paul, John, they all speak of the term last days. James in chapter five, verse three, he's warning rich people who are taking advantage of poor people. He says, listen, you have, well, I'll read there is, he says that you were, yeah, memory loss, RAM upgrade. But he speaks of how the rich were gathering up treasures in these last days, right? He's they're gathering up and I won't get into the teaching of that, but they're gathering up treasures in these last days. And the idea is that they're gathering up wrath stored against themselves. Peter in second Peter three, three also speaks of scoffers will be coming in the last days. And in apostle John in chapter in first John chapter two, 18 through 19. And this is key. Everybody, he says, uh, children, it is the last hour. He uses a different term there, but the last hour, kind of like a, a tighter frame. He's saying it's the last hour. And as you've heard that the antichrist is coming, that's one of the signs that the end is coming is that the antichrist is going to come a person who personifies Everything that is instead of Christ against Christ, he's going to be personified in a person. But listen to what he says. He says, you've heard in the last days, basically that the antichrist is coming. He says, so now many antichrists have come. What are you talking about, John? Many antichrists have come. There's only one antichrist. And he goes on and says, therefore, we know it is the last hour. They, and he starts speaking about these many antichrists in verse 19 there. And he says, they went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain, be plain that they are not all of us. I know, John, he's speaking in like in Yoda terms there, but that's yeah, kind of how he was going back and forth with words. So people would pay attention. And so if you follow what John is saying there, the last days, the last hour is going to be personified by false teachers. It's going to be. That is actually one of the main things that are going to be going on. And the spirit of antichrist, the spirit of the enemy is always to confront is always to corrupt and pervert and to go against truth. And so that's going to be personified in a world leader coming soon to a theater near you to a world near you to a church near you, but it's being that same spirit is about being manifested in false teachers in the world. And John is saying here that that's happening right now. And I wish I could spend time going back like into Daniel again, when sweep through history and show you all that leading up to what we're going to lead to. I know that doesn't make sense. It's in my head. It's right. Um, but how all the kingdoms stack on one another and eventually come to that kingdom where the antichrist rules it. And then Jesus brings his kingdom and crushes that kingdom. And it's just a beautiful thing there. We see the Lord do, but the point is that it's culminating in the antichrist. And, and, and so we know now that these are the last days. It's the church age. The church age is what is called the last days as well. Now there's the day of the Lord, which is coming, which is kind of the end of the last days. That's, that's a different thing. That's why I've got to do a study with you this summer, but the time between Christ's first coming and basically his, his glorification or his, uh, his handing over the kingdom of the father is described by the apostles as the last days. There's a lot more to it, but Jesus in Matthew 24, and we want to go to the source himself. Jesus in Matthew 24, speaking of the last days with the disciples, beginning in verse three, if you're taking notes, he says, well, it says, and he sat on the Mount of Olives. And so he's outside of Jerusalem, overlooking Jerusalem. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? If you're studying end times, this is a, this is the key verse because it divides it up into three section there, three sections there. 
We're not going to do that this morning. But they wanted to know, hey, when's this going to happen? And what Jesus had just said in Jerusalem was that not one stone would be left upon another in the temple. Jerusalem would be destroyed. They want to know when's this going to happen because it was magnificent. It was magnificent. It actually happened in 70 AD. Titus came in, he destroyed Jerusalem. And when someone lit fire to the temple and because the uh, gold that was plated on the temple melted into the stones, they got, they wanted to get the gold. And so they pulled the stones off one by one. And these are massive stones. We've been there and, and most of them fell off and are, were left on in, in the area there, but they got the gold. But they were concerned. When is this going to happen? And by the way, when's the sign? What's the sign of your return? What kind of sign are we looking for when you're going to come back? What's it going to be like in the last times right before you come back? And Jesus answered them by starting in verse four. And and, and notice Jesus doesn't answer what they want to hear. He tells them what they need to know right away. He says in verse four, Matthew 24, see that no one leads you astray. Very first thing Jesus answers them. See that no one leads you astray. Why? For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. The very first thing that Jesus says in dealing with eschatology, the end times is that listen, there's people out to get you. Jesus' first order of business is to give them what they and the future believers, including us, need to know is that the anti spirit of Antichrist is at work all over the place, in the church, on YouTube, in the books we read, in the media, in pastors, in teachers, all these things. So what's the standard of all this? Someone who makes you feel good and makes you laugh? You know, I, I, I tried my jokes. I laugh at myself more than anybody. Like <laughs> my kids laugh at me for laughing at me, but really the standard is not me. It's what God says. And for you to have the ability to rightly discern what the word of God is saying, what God is truly saying is of highest value because it is truth. What he says is truth. And it cuts through everything that is going on in this age. My sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. You need to hear the voice of your Lord. And Jesus says, first of all, be careful. There's going to be people specifically coming out to deceive you. And firstly, deception from those who claim to be Christ. And we go, oh, well, I'm not going to fall for that. We know that one. That's true. You guys are pretty well discerning, but then there's those who don't claim to be Christ, but claim to speak for Christ and are wolves in sheep's clothing. They have the wool on the frock of Christianity. They have the frock of leadership, but inside they are ravenous wolves. And this is what he's talking about here. And Jesus goes on and speaks about other things that will point to the end times. He says, there's going to be huge events going on. He goes in the last days, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. We've had massive wars in the last hundred years, 120 years now, world wars, wars bigger than any wars we've ever had before. There's going to be wars, he said, and there's also going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes in various places and pestilence, and there's going to be famine and there's going to be diseases worldwide diseases. And then Jesus says, oh, but that's, that's not, that's not the sign you need to look for. That's just the beginning. Those are the beginning of birth pains. Those are the things leading to the end. Those are the signs as these things increase with intensity as up the apostate church increases with intensity as false teaching increases with intensity as godlessness increases with intensity as wars, pestilence, all this type of stuff starts to go more and more then. And that's what he starts. That's where he starts to go. And there's different believers who view these things differently. I don't want to argue about that, but Jesus is pointing out. And the main point I want you to have right now is that deception 
is, is the main indicator that he's talking about right here and that all the apostles were really concerned with. And so church, we are actually in the last days. I know that's the guy at the sign. The end is near. Yes. The end is near. It's near than it was. There's one of the things that the, the believers were always anticipating was the return of Jesus in every age. And they go, well, it's been so long. Peter said that there would be scoffers in the last days, saying, Oh, it's taken so long but we don't realize the reason why God has taken so long is so that people don't go to hell. That God's long suffering is what is on display right now. He's not lax because you do not want Jesus to come back when people do not know him. And that is going to happen. And he's going to judge the living and he's going to judge the dead. But right now is the church age and the church has the message And so the enemy wants to infiltrate the church. He wants to water down the church. He wants you to have a gospel. That's not true. He wants you to be off. He wants you to be compromised. He wants you to be living in sin and and your witness not match up with the word. Anybody struggle with any of these things? He's at work. Well, so is God. Amen? Amen. Paul says these last days are going to be rough. Timothy not only rough for Timothy, but it's going to be increasingly rough. They're going to be hard. This is what Strong's, the Greek guy who, well, the person who translates all the Greek words. Okay. He says, uh, he says that they're going to be going to be hard to take. They're going to be rough. They're going to be dangerous. They're going to be vicious days. That's he's trying to describe the word for perilous. And we know from all these other passages that it's going to go from bad to worse, culminating in the Antichrist arrival. But then Jesus will return and set things right. And this is what Paul wants to communicate here in the first verse, the first part of chapter Timothy 3, which we're going to focus on right now to Pastor Timothy in Ephesus, that he and the church as they seek to walk holy before God, as they seek to walk as vessels unto honor to God, that they could be used by God as they're being used by God. That's the context of the previous chapter. Now he says, listen, it's going to get difficult. Even though you are walking holy, it's going to be difficult. You need to know that. Why is it going to be difficult? Verse, verse two, I'm going to read verses two through five real quickly. Follow along in your Bibles. Why? Because for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Verse four, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse five, key here, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Yikes. They just described everything on Netflix. (laughs) You know, but what typifies the last days and increasingly so is if you could sum it up with one word, godlessness, that's, what's going to go on godlessness in society. Not that people aren't religious, but there's no love for God. There's going to be godlessness and godlessness in the church. And that's the context here. That's why it's so perilous. Of course, the world's going to go berserk, but it's going to be happening inside Timothy. That's why it's going to be so difficult. The leaders are going to get caught up in this stuff. The sheep are going to get pulled away into this stuff. It's going to be manifested. This type of acting out in one way or the other is going to be acceptable and fostered in the church. And I'll, and I'll explain why I think that's what he's saying here in a minute, but godlessness and people claiming to be teachers and leaders and prophets and so forth. Now, listen, I know it's like, okay, well, what does this have to do with me? I'm not, I'm not a pastor. Listen, maybe you're just with me because I'm preaching to myself this morning, maybe for these next couple of weeks, but Paul paints a pretty grim picture, you know, of, of what, what it will be like starting in verse two. And what typifies, and this is the main thing, and this is what often happens is they'll start off with the big picture. And if you take a writing class, you say the, the thing you want to say, and then you say the things that exemplify that, and then you re-say it again at the end. 
Okay, good, everybody. Awesome. I learned that like at 40. (laughs) Just to let you know. But what does it say there? What will people be like? The very first thing they will be what? Lovers of self. Self lovers. That's the root issue with mankind. It is that we love ourselves and we lo- we do not love God. Well, how do you know that we love ourselves and we don't love God? I know there's a lot of people out there tell you, you've got to love yourself so you can learn to love one another. I don't think loving ourselves is generally the issue. I know there's caveats to that and I'm not minimizing things, but the cure to all of that is a love for God is a love for God. And he sets yourself straight. So you are not an idol in your own eye. Let me, let me expand on why love for self is a problem and we don't see it. We might not go, I don't love myself, but I'm an addict. I don't love myself, but I treat people like junk. I don't love myself, but my life is all about money. What do you think is driving that? What God sees as a love for self. It's important not to say, not to take our view of estimating one another, but to take his view of what he sees in us. That's important. That's where the sword pokes all of us. Amen. But that's the root issue. People will be lovers of self. And here's the bookend. So the very first thing, the thesis is lovers of self. Skip down to verse four. That people are what? Lovers of what? Pleasure. Rather than lovers of God. That's the bookends. They love themselves. They love pleasures. They don't love God. That's what they're after. This cuts all of us. This is what typifies people in the last days. People love themselves. And might I say that everything is marketed after our love for ourselves to customize your own world around yourself, to cancel anything that you disagree with, to make it all about you. Tell me that's not an epidemic. Tell me that is not being increasingly. So tell me you cannot shape your own world with one of these. And they've got an algorithm to help you do it. Listen, that's what typifies lovers of uh, lovers of self. But what, how is that manifested? How is that manifested? Well, they love money. Some of you might go, well, I don't love money. Listen, what Jesus says about Matthew six twenty four: No one can serve two masters. Get over the master slave analogy. That was how the world worked back then. Jesus wants to point out in every life, you can't have two bosses. How many of you've had two bosses with no decline? You've got one, one boss and the other boss. What happens in that situation? No one can serve two masters for you to hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and money. Do we hear this church? What Jesus is saying to us as, as our leader, you can't love me and love money. You can't, but you can't (laughs) love me and love money. He makes the rules and they are good. Then Jesus goes on to tell his disciples right after that, you can't serve God and money. Be anxious for nothing right on the heels of that. Why? Because if I can't serve money, if I can't go after a life of money, if I, if money is not my pursuit in order to whatever justified fill in the blanks, if I'm not going after money and I'm just pursuing God, then that's going to require me to what? To trust him. And so Jesus immediately on the hills after telling his disciples, you cannot serve God money. Be anxious for nothing. I'll take care of what you need. I'll take care of your clothes. I'll take care of your food. I'll take care of your house. I'll take care of what all those kinds of things. 
And he gives examples about God taking care of the birds and the lilies of the field and King Solomon, all this stuff. And he says, be anxious for nothing, but you, I mean, that's what the Gentiles go after. That's what the unbelievers go after. That's their flow of life. They go after those things. You, my kids, you don't love money. You don't spend your life going down that rabbit hole because at the end is nothing. You seek me first. You seek me first in my righteousness. You seek the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. I'll take care of you. It's a life of faith. This obviously doesn't mean you quit your job and sit in a Lotus position on a hill somewhere. Cause the scriptures also say, if you don't work, you don't eat. Some of us need to be told, get back to work because you aren't and you need to. Why? Because you're able to. Go work, be a witness in society, start earning money, take care of yourself, take care of your family, and then go bless others. Be a witness. Amen. Trust God. Slash don't be a bum. (laughs) Means put God first, not your paycheck. You can't love money first. Paul goes on. What else typifies people are going to love money and they're going to be what proud. They're going to be arrogant. They're going to be abusive. What do these words mean? Proud means that they're braggers. They claim a greatness. They do not possess. MacArthur says (laughs) they claim a greatness. They do not possess arrogant. This means they have a superior superiority complex to speak. uh, So to speak, always placing oneself above others. They're abusive which means blasphemy of others is the idea of of putting people down. So now if you love the Lord and you've come to know him, you come to him by knowing that you are poor in spirit. You come to a position of humility, not of pride. You come because you know that you've got nothing. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom. Are you poor in spirit? What does Jesus do with the humble? He resists the proud, but he gives what to the humble gives grace to the humble. He will humble the exalted and he will exalt the humble. That's the way his kingdom works. Not so for one who doesn't know God, who doesn't love God, they're proud or arrogant. You know, that superiority complex Here's Paul, the apostle who could throw his weight around like no one else. And he constantly pointed to his weaknesses. He constantly pointed to that. He was the least of the apostles. He constantly pointed to the fact that God's grace was what was at work in his life. Abusive, you know, the blasphemy of others and putting them down. You know, if we love the Lord, these things aren't, are going to be changed in us. He's going to sanctify them out of us. As we become like Christ, right? We are not going to talk down to people, but notice that this is, this is how the world works. It is the, the culture of, of, of the world. Do we let these things slip into our lives? Are we lovers of money? And these other, these things are manifested within us. And then we just kind of just go, oh, well, that's just the way it is. This is who I am. God accept me. Praise be to God. I get arrogant like that. Paul says also in verse two, that people in the last days will be disobedient to their parents. Anybody see that going on? Any of you been that kid? <laughs> That's a huge problem. It's everywhere. Disobedience, a, a total lack of respect for authority. That's a societal systematic problem. This is where this is a problem here. I believe part of the problem is that we have a generation of parents who love themselves too much. This is what I constantly struggle with as a parent. Me. What I want to do versus oh, the inconvenience of being there for my kids and being a godly influence. Oh, discipline them. Let's not discipline them. Let's entertain them. Let's create a world where their little ego just keeps being shaped to be all about them. Let's do that. Let's give them the devices. Let's send them to every single activity. Let's make sure they have all the food that they want to eat every single time. Let's take them to get all the drinks and all these things. And that's love. 
And to not do that, I'm a bad parent. Why? Because I want those things too. That's what love is for me. Is it just me who struggles with these things? Anybody else? Parents who are unwilling to sacrifice jobs to stay home with their kids. But I can't. I've got to work. We've both got to work in order to survive. Okay. I'm not saying that this is for everybody. There are situations where there are single moms. There are things going on. Again, I'm speaking in broad generalities here because I'm trying to, to poke at, which is the Lord is doing to me is what are you going after? Why? What is more important in the end to raise a godly kid or to make sure the kid has a super awesome place to live? If you can do both, yay. But you know what I'm saying? The things that we are caught up with culture says you have to go immediately. You've got to go to college. Why? So that you can. Why? I'm not against college. College is awesome. There's great things to get educated and and do all that stuff. But there's a system that just pushes you in a direction mindlessly. What does God say about that kid, that person? Who's God shaped them to be? But parents, you know, unwilling to sacrifice jobs to stay at home with kids sometimes, unwilling to say no to media, unwilling to live with less. When you have parents who love themselves, real sacrifice is not on the table. And you end up fostering and raising kids who love themselves more than they love you. And that's why they're not going to obey you because they are lovers of self. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to do what? Obey me. Yikes. If you love me, little one, you'll obey me. Do you see the picture there? He makes it really easy. It's ironic that picture of disobedient children to their parents is a parallel between us and God. Obviously God's not a bad parent, (laughs) but people love themselves. Little kids who never were taught to deny themselves, who whose lives were tailored for their every desire is what's on the horizon. You want to be a good parent? Love God. Deny yourself, follow him. Amen. And of course that doesn't mean you can't have your Starbucks. I mean, what God doesn't live to get love to give their kids good things, but not when Starbucks is your life and your pursuit. Amen. Amen. These things can't be our life, but we're trained in the society to be that. That's, that's the thing. And we don't even know it. And it's crept into the church and the mentality and the teaching. Everything's tailored for you and what you want to hear and what I want to say. So you like me. So we all just have more because I'm building my name here. Dangerous stuff. Do you see it? Just so do parents. How about ungrateful? That's the word for self-entitlement. Need I say more unholy? This speaks of someone who is totally given over to hedonism, just fulfilling their lusts and desires of whatever grotesque way they want. Verse three, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, heartless, meaning without love, obviously loveless, unloving as some of your translations have rendered it unappeasable, meaning unwilling to change. They're bent in one direction. They are going and they're unwilling to compromise. That can be a really good thing when it's for truth and for God, it can be a really bad thing when it comes to evil and selfishness. When you're a lover of self, I am not willing to do anything, but what satisfies me. Slanderous or malicious, malicious gossips. The word in the Greek is Diablos, which is where we get the word for what devil. Yeah. People are going to be devils. 
Someone who loves the Lord is going to, to love people and they're going to be willing to compromise in the noble sense, not in an abandoning truth, but to try and live in harmony with others. And someone who loves the Lord will not be speaking maliciously about others and follow in the footsteps of the devil. We're not going to do that. And so Paul continues in the middle of verse three, people will be without self-control. They'll be brutal, not loving good without self-control. This describes someone who doesn't care about anyone or anything. They're reckless, brutal along the same lines. They're untamable. This speaks of someone who enacts violence in a savage manner to others. Do you see this happening in our society? Not loving good is another one. Haters of good in, in some of your translations. Uh, haters of good and people who are good and do good things. There are those who hate those things. They hate good. They hate. And people might go, I don't hate good. But when your sense of right and wrong is flipped up and upside down, which James says is a indicator of what happens in the last times. People are going to be haters of good because they're going to be haters of righteousness is the idea and righteous people. Treacherous verse four, reckless, swollen with conceit, treacherous, meaning treasonous, someone who betrays another reckless, similar without with self-control. It's an egocentric person who doesn't notice others or the impact of their words and actions on others. People become reckless in their words and their actions and how they do stuff. They don't care. You know, even when I'm, I'm saying some of these things, I, you know, for example, it's like, I realize that when I'm speaking in broad things, there's a lot of circumstances. That's why I'm saying I'm speaking in broad uh, swaths here. And, and there's, there's caveats to thing, but the general truth is X. And you might be going, well, I, I was in a situation. Yes, I know. That's why I said that. But people can just shoot you. You know what I'm saying? But the book into all this of, of these things described there in verse four is they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They love themselves and it's shown in their priorities, their words, their actions. It's all about them and not God. And what makes things worse is this not only is what typifies people in the last time society in general, this is what's happening in the world at the end times, increasingly so. It's happening in the church. We know from verse five, look at verse five, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So all these people who are lovers of self and they love pleasure rather than love God, they have an appearance of godliness. They're religious. And maybe in religious, in the context here is they're going to be religious leaders too, but denying its power. They claim the cross, but their lives aren't transformed. Make sense? Paul says there, avoid such people. Stay away from them. Now, we know that Paul is not saying stay away from people in the world who are like this. That's not what he's talking about. We know that because in first Corinthians five, nine through 11, Paul says, I wrote to you in my, my letter, not to associate with sexually immoral, immoral people. Paul says, don't associate with sexually immoral people. And they're writing back going, well, we can't talk to anybody in our town because there's a giant temple where prostitutes come down every night. And part of the religious system is that people have to sleep with them. And all this kind of stuff is going, this is part of the society. It's integrated into everywhere. And so Paul says, I wrote you not to associate with them. Verse 10, not at all meaning sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. Since you know, you would need to leave the world to do it. And Elon's working on that. But verse 11, now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a person. He's talking about someone who bears the name of Christ, but is not transformed by the gospel. Well, how in the world am I supposed to come to Christ? Am I, do I come to him perfect? No, you come to Christ and he cleans you up, but you are repenting as, as these things, the Holy Spirit brings these things up. That's listen, we're all sinners saved by grace. Amen. Amen. Yes. Like we, we go, amen. But grace doesn't say stay in your sin. Grace says, come out of it. Wake up. O sleeper. It's when someone stays 
and they're unwilling to change like the sexual morality. He was dealing with there when someone was sleeping with his mother-in-law and wouldn't stop. They addressed it and he wouldn't stop and they continue. That's when you need to separate. Why? For your own health, not only for your own health, but what else for the health of the church. All right. Yes. So that's, what's going on here. Paul's letter to Timothy. These false teachers were having an effect. (laughs) I know it's hard. Not only the false teachers, but the ones who were starting to follow them. He had Bible study leaders who were going, yeah, I'm a Christian. But what they were teaching was leading people into things like this indirectly. This is why it was so difficult. Paul says, because lovers of self are going to infiltrate the church. They're going to infiltrate church leadership. And this is the way it's going to go. It's going to be difficult. And Paul is zeroing in once again on these guys who are leading the church into all this mess. And again, this is a shot at me and anyone who takes up leadership in the church. So I'm not going to skip these verses unless you want me to, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But he says here, let's just read them real quickly for among them, these men who have an appearance of godliness, that is, but deny the power. That's what he's talking about among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, buried uh, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. One of the things we got to be careful with is reading into a 2000 year old text with a 2022 view. He's talking about weak women. This is not a women's rights thing. This is a society where you had a patriarchal society, whatever you want to call it. And when women went ahead and had adultery or whatever they did, when they did that, they were, they didn't have a covering anymore. Make sense. They were on their own and there was no social safety net. And they were, and this was a willful situation that Paul's describing here. When he's talking about weak women, women who are captured in sin, that's who he's talking about. Why is he talking about them? Because false teachers prey on the vulnerable. That's his point. It's not about the weak women. He's using an example in the church. Someone who's sinned, who's outside the church, who's not normal. These guys are going to come up to them and they're going to, they're going to sympathize with them. They're going to talk to them and they're going to give them some kind of spiritual religiosity. And they're going to fleece them for all they have with widows. And he goes, he talks about widows in another place. People taking advantage. How many of those calls do widows get from people trying to get your money? Anybody get those kind of calls? How do you guys, what do you, how do you handle that? (laughs) Okay. Ready? Here's, here's a pastor Matt tip, Tim. (sighs) Share the gospel with them. Ready? You want to, you want to work on sharing the gospel? Those people need the gospel. Share the gospel. And quite often, some of these people are from India, which is my experience. And they have a conscience, conscious level of, of morality within their culture. I know that's weird. They've got enough gods, right? Preach the gospel. Start sharing Christ. I preached the gospel with this one guy, man, by the end, he, uh, he, he was saying some really bad things about Christine in the beginning. By the end, he was saying he was sorry and all this kind of stuff. Cause I was telling him, man, God loved you. And he sent his son to die for you. And, but if you don't repent, believe him, man, going to hell. And I described hell. And I described grace and those things. And he was listening and just, just go for it. And if they hang up on you, like, whoa, no, you would do it. You, you know, <laughs> you're trying, right? <laughs> Flip it around, love them. Right. <laughs> but anyways, these weak women here in that culture, they were, they were, they were those ones who were caught in their sin and they were emotionally compromised and all this stuff. And these men would come in and they would take advantage of these women And Paul says of these women, verse seven, they're always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. They're in all these kinds of Bible studies and there's no change. There's all these things going on, but they're still doing what they've always done in sin. Verse eight, he says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. So these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. 
Now, the scriptures don't speak of these two guys, Janice and Jambres, but many people think they're the magicians who were opposing Moses. So Moses went ahead and threw down the stick and it became a snake. And then the other magicians go, okay, well, we can do that. And then we threw down their sticks. It became a snake, but Moses's snake ate their sticks. Come on now. And they kind of tried to mimic all the things that Moses did to deceive people. And what happened is the end is that Moses's the God's man, his message prevailed and these guys could not keep up in the end. They were exposed. These men opposed the truth, men corrupt and disqualified. They opposed him. And it says in verse nine, but they were not going to get very far for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. Listen, uh, there's other places like Paul back in his first letter to Timothy in chapter five, 24 says to him, he says, the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them in judgment, but the sins of others appear later in the end, God will bring righteous judgment on these people. So he's explaining a perilous time because there's wolves and there's the precious sheep of God. But he turns back then in verse 10, which is where we'll pick up next week. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecution. You followed me, Timothy. You're not following these guys. Talk about discipleship. Notice there in verse 10, what, what he follows, you follow his teaching. That's the doctrine. You follow his conduct, how that doctrine actually plays out in your life. Either Timothy followed his aim of life, what he did in his life, his direction, following the Lord, his faith, his patience, his love, his steadfastness and his persecutions, the suffering he had at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. And yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's perilous. Expect it. If you're going to live godly in a godless society, expect the persecution. But as even while peep, evil people, imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, it's going to get from worse to worse to worse. But as for you again, verse 10, you verse 14, but as for you, that's what they're doing. But for you, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Listen, we've learned the gospel from people, people who not only preach Christ, but model Christ. You know, these things don't go after these turkeys and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Listen, your mom knew the scriptures. Your grandma taught you the scriptures, Timothy. And those scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. They point to Jesus Christ. And then he ends it by verse 16 says, and all scripture is breathed out by God. It's God breathed, God inspired. And what in the world does the Bible do? And it's profitable for teaching. That's doctrine. You want to know truth? You go to the word of God, not to your psychologist. You want to, Know what the word of God does? It reproofs and corrects. I don't have my notes on here, but if I remember correctly, reproof means it sets a broken bone in its right place. It corrects, it straightens the path and it trains for righteousness. This is what it does. Our lives are broken by sin. And what the word of God is, it comes in and it heals us. It gives us truth, things our hearts realign with, and then our actions follow as the spirit of God does this in a person. And we're trained for righteousness, right living before God and right living before one another. And that the man of God may be complete. You may be finished. You may be perfect, equipped for every good work. That's why God redeemed you. Notice he says the word of God does that. That's what's at play here. It's not. What is truth? Pilate said. It's what he says. His word is truth. Let's not deviate it from it. Let's be a people who actually learn how to rightly handle it. You know, who can read through this and understand what it's saying. And let God 
read you and you not read it, so to speak, you know, let him read your heart and direct you this week. Amen. So there's a lot there, but I kind of preached it. (laughs) Yeah. Perilous times, but a precious people. Amen. Stay tight with Jesus this week. He loves you. Follow him. Cut out the junk and just let his love flow through you again. Amen. And maybe you're one of those weak women burdened down with sin, weak men burdened down with sin. Man, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins where sinners plunged beneath its flood, lose all their guilty stains. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. All sin. Amen. Run to him this week. (laughs) Amen. Lord, thank you so much for this time in your word. These are heavy ish verses, God. And um, they speak to the times we're in and it's going to get worse. And Lord, within us, there's a, there's a frailty. Lord, we see it. And we see the outward man perishing, Lord, but we, we desire and we, we call and we ask, Lord, that the inward man would be renewed every day. That you would continue to shape us in the image of Christ. And Lord, as you've, your word has gone out this morning, and I pray that your spirit has convicted and encouraged us, God. I pray that if there are those in here this morning who have yet to bend their knee to you, I pray they would call out and cry out, and ask for you to save them. And you will. Because that is why you sent your son. Thank you so much for the grace. Bless us this week. Bring people to you. Use us. Make us vessels of honor this week. In your name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. If you need prayer, come on up. And by the way, you can pray for one another, believe it or not. (laughs) God bless.